Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is Sean Catanese broadcasting live from Great Escape Games in Sacramento, California. In the room with me today, we have a special guest, aside from our normal host, wonderful, always happy Ricky Hayashi. Hello, I am no longer the guy on the left, I'm now in the middle, because as Sean explained, we have a guest today. Actually, it's kind of a special day on JudgeCast because... um, we are plus two judge levels since uh, our last broadcast. That's right. I have been promoted to level five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. That's that's not what happened? Okay. No. Um, for, first off, Sean, my partner here, um, is now a level two. Fantastic. Applause. And then our guest, Jose. Jose Bovida is the world's... Most recent level one judge as of right now. I was just promoted to guy on the left. <laughs> <laughs> and that too. Bumping me to the middle. Uh, my level five not coming yet. We're, yes. ho- we're, we're hopeful, yeah. That's right. Your dominion will come soon, Ricky. Someday. <clears throat> well, and on that note, um, Jose, you've been a player here with us locally for a few months coming to Great Escape and coming to our FNMs and... I think we first met you over at uh, a local play group that was only playing sort of casual sorts of events. Right. Uh, so tell us a little bit about why you got into judging and what made you decide, well, I'll take this test thing and try to get to level one. Well, uh, I've been playing Magic for a while. I've uh, played since uh, Revised Ice Age. And um, I think the, the judge bug first bit me when uh, I was in Miami to Sacramento from Miami about a year ago. Um, in Miami, I had a good friend of mine named Nathan Hurst, uh, who was a teacher at uh, a private school in Miami. And he ran a games club with the kids there. Uh, young kids, eight, nine years old, all the way up through um, to high school. And he ran sanctioned tournaments for the kids. One day, uh, I was friends with one of the uh, regulars there. He invited me to show up and take a look at how it was run. And uh, aside from, you know, a few forays into uh, some events, that was the first time I felt like I turned the rug from start to finish. Everybody had fun. Nathan ran the thing flawlessly. And I thought it was a great thing. I I said to myself, wow, I'd love to be part of this. So that's that's where it came from. Well, good, good. And then you came out here to California and started playing in some of the groups out here. and, Mm -hmm. And I guess... Was at a restaurant downtown where we where I first met you, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, is this the is this the Denny's playgroup? <laughs> uh, it's the Crepville playgroup. Oh, but okay. uh, the, the Denny's playgroup is after our F and M's. They give us the back banquet room all to ourselves. All right. Um, up until around three in the morning. Um, but it, the the Crepville playgroup is uh, actually a little more high class. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's a mixture of gamers that do other things than just magic. Uh, it, the way that the Crepville playgroup works is that it's through meetup.com and they set up a, a meetup and uh, decide that, well, we'll play all sorts of board games and then once a month it'll be Magic Night also. Um, and I met Jose there and met a bunch of other folks that will hopefully someday join the ranks of judges too. I heard uh, yeah. one of our friends yesterday um, after FNM was like, well, you know, let's actually see if maybe I can become a judge because Jose's really, really close. Uh, so we'll see if, if other people in that playgroup actually become judges. And I think we've, we've had that sort of thing happen before elsewhere in California, where we've had one person in the playgroup become a judge, and then others in that playgroup start to get the bug also. You're talking about Santa Rosa. That, <laughs> right. that was quite the experience. Um, at, at GP Seattle last year, um, May or June-ish, um, I went out to dinner with a group of friends uh, from Santa Rosa, I had met them at PTQs, and we talked. And we went out to dinner, myself, uh, three or four of the, the, those guys, players, and then Adam Shaw, a fellow judge. And we talked with them, and we talked about judging, and I think they got a feel for how fun it is. And then a few weeks later, I got an email from one of them saying, I'm interested in becoming a judge. I certified him not too much later after, after that. And then one after another, um, <laughs> they kept coming. Say, hey, I want to be a judge too. Um, you're at what, 
three now. Yeah, we're that's um, the three uh, judges in Jeff that? Meadows, Merlin Catterall Davis, and Arthur Hallibase. That's right. Pronounced. And the, there's two or three others in that play group, and who may be interested in varying degrees. You know, not as much, obviously, but slowly pushing in that direction. A um, little bit of peer pressure, I guess. And, right. and it comes at a great time, too. I mean, with, you know, Zendikar had a huge uh, showing. Um, it's a wildly popular set, so a lot more people are playing. The natural question is, you know, go to my FNM. Uh, this is where uh, it all happens, so... Mm-hmm. More judges, the better. Yeah, the, those guys run a pre, their pre-release in Santa Rosa at their local store. I think probably like sixty or seventy players, and you know, one or two of them combos on that. Mm-hmm. And they still show up at PTQs and stuff, but they're definitely taking over the local community, taking charge of it. Good, fantastic thing. Well, on that note, taking charge and such, you're sort of known as starting your own little dominion within. Well, it's no longer a little dominion. But starting your own dominion within the world of judges yourself, Ricky. Um, but some players might not know, and some judges might not know uh, yet how it is that you got started, uh, because that's that's a different story too. Well, I I'm an old timer. I predate Jose. Started playing in Unlimited. This was high school. A friend of mine introduced me to Magic, and we just started playing at lunch. That it went that way for a while. Had no idea organized play, Pro Tour, JSS. You know, these things didn't exist. And the internet barely existed, so we couldn't find out about these things. And I dropped Magic for a while. Chronicles to about Mercadian Masks. Just because of college and I, you know, collecting wasn't as interesting for me. But I got back into it. Uh, like I said, Masks. I did a Masks draft at the local store. And I was kind of surprised by all the changes to the rules. You know, damage on the stack took yeah. me by surprise. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm one of those guys that came back and like, what's what do you mean damage on the stack? And I was, I guess, a little embarrassed by how behind I was in terms of the rules, lingo, and technology. And I studied hard to catch up and became kind of the rules guy in the shop. People would ask me questions. Um, and I really honed that, the, the, my rule skills... When Magic Online came out, I was a part of the beta test, and I really focused on the interactions, like um, Odyssey Block was out at the time, and Madness was kind of a confusing rules thing. It's a lot easier now because it's just a triggered ability, and you you pay the Madness cost from the trigger result. It used to be more complicated because uh, the trigger would resolve, and then you could play the spell for its Madness cost until the next time you pass priority. So you could do tricks right. like um, careful study, discard something and a arrogant worm, and then play a land, and then use that land to, to pay the madness cost for arrogant worm, because playing a land does not uh, yield priority to hit priority. Um, so I, I learned about tricks like that by studying it on Magic Online, and then maybe a couple months after that, GP Oakland. Uh, the previous G- GP Oakland, we were about to have another one, so it's a little anniversary for me. <laughs> I played in the GP, this was uh, Mirrodin Darksteel Sealed, got summarily bounced out of it. It was my <laughs> first time playing in a GP, I had no idea people were this serious about magic. Um, and the funny thing is, one of the guys I talked about last week that I certified up in Oregon, in Medford, Matt Marr, He's the, I looked at my play history, and he's the guy that knocked me out of the GP. <laughs> he gave me my third loss. And so we've had a good laugh about this. And so in a lot of ways, I've come full circle here. You know, GP Oakland, I've just certified Matt Marr. So anyway, back then, I got bounced out of the GP, and then day two, I went up to, to Toby. I said, I, I want to test now. Like, I'm not going to play on the PTQ. Like, let's just get this over. Because I had talked to... You know, him and Don Barkoskis, the, the local level threes about it, and had been kind of on the fence. And I, I see that a lot. People don't want to give up the chance to play in a PTQ, but a GP is the perfect place. Assuming you don't make day two, there is a PTQ, but it's ginormous, you know, two, three hundred people. Your chances are probably not very good. So 
Uh, I think uh, Grand Prix is the, the perfect place to test. I did. I passed. And that was it. No, that wasn't it. But that was how I became a judge. Mm-hmm. So, Sean, tell us about your, your story. Because you, you were, what, Hollywood, right? Uh, Hollywood was uh, actually not where I certified. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hollywood was the first pro tour that I had visited. Uh, okay. But I was only there as a spectator, kind of just enjoying the sights and sounds of high-level magic. I actually certified at a PTQ a couple months before Hollywood. Right. Hollywood yeah. I was actually a level one at that time, but was not on staff and was not a volunteer, um, just, just a spectator. Um, but the way that I got into judging um, was really because um, when I came to uh, Sacramento, the local store that I first came upon was only a few blocks from my house. And it is Great Escape here, the one that I'm in right now still. When I first came in, I came in looking for a job. <laughs> and and that was pie in the sky, wouldn't it be nice? Yeah, oh my god. <laughs> I'm pretty sure everyone's had that. I want to work at my local game store. <laughs> so I walked in and this wonderful girl behind the counter Ooh. gave me this sort of Ooh. eye roll. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> um, she gave me a sort of eye roll like you're the eighth person to come in this week asking if we're hiring. Of course we don't have any jobs. Are you kidding? This is the best job in the world. There are no openings. <laughs> she's, did she say that? <laughs> well, no. She was much nicer. Oh, okay. Um, she's actually a good friend still. But the message was about the same. Um, so with that, I decided, well, I'll continue just to come in and play games, and I'll continue playing at FNM and doing what I can. And at about uh, two years after that started, um, another local store opened up in another part of town. And a friend of mine that was owning that store, uh, which is now Big Brother Comics in, in downtown Sacramento, uh, started Are you running... getting paid to say that? Or? <laughs> no, we're not getting paid okay. to say that. Let's work on Let's get the lawyers on that. Okay. Work up the contracts. Sponsorship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kenny, if you're listening... <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Free shout out. Anyway, I started looking at at, at their events because they would run events well into the wee hours of the morning. And that was something that I really was looking for and enjoying. But there wasn't anybody there that was willing to run DCI Reporter for those events. Um, Where did you want to? Right. (laughs) (laughs) That thing is terrible. (laughs) The program was pretty bad. Um, And so when we got down to, okay, how do we report this? Or how do we do these pairings so they actually come out correctly? One person had to kind of learn the system, and that was me. Um, and then I decided after a while, well, I'll go back to doing FNMs over a Great Escape, and I kind of transitioned between the two. And one day, when I was uh, at FNM at Great Escape, um, the normal employee that comes in uh, to to run FNM didn't show up for work, um, and he had sort of not been showing up for work or showing up late or other sorts of typical game store employee flakiness. He didn't think it was the best job in the world. Apparently not. He did, <laughs> he did not value Didn't appreciate it. it. So he decided to stop working for the game store, and that night somebody needed to run FNM for the kids here at the store. So I said, well, I know a little bit about DCI Reporter. Let me into the back room. Let me see what's going on. I'll work this out for you. So I did. And from there, I just started running events on a regular basis for them. I've never actually been a store employee here, um, usually only working for store credit, that sort of thing. Um, but for the past five years now... It's like Usagi Yojimbo. Right, right. We'll work for food. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work for carrots. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's how I, I started running events here. And eventually, um, it came to a point where I realized that I was really getting to be a better player because I was helping players with the rules, not just running the tournament and getting pairings together, but actually answering their questions and mediating disputes. And that's really where it came in, where I wanted to grow this and actually have some authority in in what I was saying and have some credibility with the players. So at one of the regional pre-releases, I went up to one of the judges there. It may have been you, Ricky, um, or it may have been Jeff Morrow, one of them. Walked Probably up. Jeff at that point. Yeah, walked Late up. 2007, right? Uh, yeah, just about. Walked up to one of them and said, well, 
what does it take to become an actual judge? Because this is what I'm doing at my local store. Mm-hmm. It's so close to what actual judges do um, that I'd really like to do this. And um, after working a number of pre-releases, I was able to move into um, a position where I felt comfortable testing um, and passed on my first test, administered by Mr. Toby Elliott. Um, oh, so we're both Toby Elliott. Yes, yes. He, he is our progenitor. Yeah. Um, as far as the, the certification goes. Um, has, he's, he's embarrassed for it every time I write an article. <laughs> <laughs> and every time he hears somebody uh, on this, I'm sure, too. Um, but yeah, he's, he's my brother. Well, that's okay. We, we, today, we outranked Toby. We got three, two, one. Oh, it's that's like right. Seven, 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 seven right. levels. The, co- the, combined power of, the combined power of judge cast is now level six. So, <laughs> so eat that, Toby. But we're probably twice as wrong. Still, <laughs> yeah, we could say oh. we're twice as sexy. I think that works. I, I'll refrain from comment there. Um, so that's really how I got started. Um, well, you got started from the events angle, running the events. Absolutely. Uh, my that's my main focus is completely all... different from me. Because yeah, I I didn't run events at all. I just played in them. But I, I came from the rules angle. Yeah. wanting to learn the rules of the game better to be a better player. And that's, that's interesting to see, too, because I also came from it from an events angle. You know, after I saw Nathan running the events, I said, oh, I want to be part of this. So, you know, you start running events at your local store, you end up being sort of an ambassador. You help people who need help answering the rules questions. Now we have, you know, rules advisors who are given some modicum of, of authority uh, to do what a lot of us who have a better grasp of the rules do anyway. So, you know, uh, that's that's something that anybody can go do right now is go in and, and look at the rules advisor and start uh, taking the rules test. Well, and how long was it for you from the point where you started saying, mm, I'd like to be a judge, to the point where you took that rules advisor test? Uh, well, it's funny. The rules advisor test I took well after I took a level one uh, written exam. I took I took a level one written exam in Miami at a pre-release where the level three was. Mm-hmm. Now in Florida, uh, the level three, whose name I do not remember, he would be absent from a lot of the games or leave mm-hmm. early for whatever reason. It was a pre-release. The pre-releases back then were the, only the regional ones, mm-hmm. which was a lot of fun. They were held in Orlando. Um, so getting out to one of these was uh, an investment, a trip. So when I went to take my test, it was an investment of time. Not only is it an investment of time and money, you also have to understand that you have to do, you know, you have to go through the paces. You have to volunteer. Uh, they have to watch you work, um, make sure that you're okay uh, handling the floor, show you the ins and outs of, of working at a tournament. So you end up paying for your hotel and everything to go and work and hopefully take your judge test. So when he was not there, I was a little put off by, by that. Well, we're all better for it now that you've come back to the fold. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so to, to answer the question, my rules advisor happened, you know, uh, early, early last year and, uh, now I am a level one judge, but I originally took a level one. Okay. I, I don't know if the rules advisor exam existed back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2004. Yeah, probably didn't. Um, I remember I took it pretty much right after it came out, um, just because I was not technically certified yet, and I needed some something to be able to prove to myself that I knew what I was doing. Right. And that was a, a big I, help. I still do. Every year, I take it again just to make sure. Okay, and and that's actually one one good starting point for players that are listening to us now. That are like, well, what about me? You know, if you do want to become a judge, and uh, I think the rules advisor exam is a good starting point. It's not necessarily a prerequisite uh, by any stretch. Uh, you can be a good judge without having taken that, as long as you do know the rules and do know what you're doing. Right. Uh, but the rules advisor exam, that said, is a good starting point. Yeah, um, it's one of the first things I tell someone who, yeah. who talks to me, I want to be a judge. Because A, it shows a 
competency with the rules, if they can pass it, and B, it shows a commitment to the process. If we tell them you should go do this and they do it, like, okay, well, you're not a lazy bum. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we should tell the rules advisor exam you can find in the Judge Center. Right, and that's judge.wizards.com. Log in with your DCI number and login password and go to the exam section and you should be able to see it there. Right. And we should also note that um, if you have questions about becoming a judge or if you're trying to get in touch with a local judge in your area, uh, a level two that can perhaps test you somewhere down the road or to get hooked into your local network, um, we do have an email now for the webcast here. And that's judgecast at gmail.com, J-U-D-G-E-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. And good thing you spelled it out because I was lost. <laughs> Regardless, I, I hope that uh, we do get some, some listener emails. In fact, we already have had one person contact us both through Facebook uh, so that he can get hooked into his local level two um, and, and kind of work with him. Um, the guy from... Missouri? In Missouri, yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. I, I uh, got him the email of his local level two. Now, of course, Ricky, you have a special investment in uh, judges, people wanting to become judges in California, uh, because you have uh, you have a dinner writing. I have two. I have two. I doubled up two dinners. Oh, double down. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, this is a this is a little you know wager with some Spanish judges. David de la Iglesia and Omar Diaz, they're level twos out in Spain. Mm-hmm. And I've seen them at a couple of pro tours. They're good friends. And I noticed that the demographics of Spain and California are very similar in terms of total population and all that. And then judge population is very similar. Um, we were in the high 40s and they're in the low 50s. And I, I'm always looking for ways to motivate myself and motivate other people. So I said, why don't we, why don't we put a dinner on the line, see who can get to 75 judges first, you know, with the goal of being to get to this in 2010, calendar year. And we're doing fantastic now. Yeah. I mean, Jose certified, uh, who else have we had? We had Alexi Gusev and Jeff Harms, mm-hmm. our two guys uh, from the San Jose region. Right. Alexi actually is going to school in Davis, so he's local to me now. And down in L.A., we've got people that are working toward that. And yeah, and then Michael Jimenez up in Myrica. Right. So we, we've had, what, four in January. Right. So we're on so track. It sounds like we're on pace. And, and right. two, we should also mention, in addition to Sean being promoted to level two, last weekend at a PTQ, was it a PTQ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. PTQ, Luis Fernandez was also oh, yeah. promoted to level two. And... Those don't count, you know, in terms of the, the contest with Spain, but it will be very helpful because level twos can certify other judges. And I think Lewis and Sean are both fantastic at mentoring, and will probably pick up some guys of their own to certify down the line. That's definitely one of my goals. Okay, well, that takes care of talking a little bit about how we got started in judging. Um, there, are, the other big thing that's happened recently here in the world of magic is the release of world way the pre-release this last weekend just finished up and the release the coming weekend here uh the super bowl weekend hopefully uh people will get out to their release events knowing that are you kidding me <laughs> <laughs> even even like, if they have look. to play with like a, you know smartphone set up on a little stand watching, watching uh, uh, the game. yeah you're just kidding yourself i okay. mean I'm, I'm going to the launch party on friday but Sunday, yeah, it's all about football, my friend. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm not, I'm not uh, big into football, but I do love Super Bowl parties. Okay. I'm more of a baseball guy, but... Um, well, we've got a Super Bowl party at my house. You're both welcome to join us. Yes. I mean, we can play some magic while we watch the Super Bowl, but I'm not going to go out to a sanctioned like, event anywhere. Unless they've got a big screen. Genius. Genius. <laughs> okay, I will, I'll ask Chris if okay. he can put one in for us. Um, but, but yes, World, World Wake is out, and since this is JudgeCast, we should talk a little bit about any cards that are rules problems in this set, anything that might confuse people. Absolutely. So what do we got, Sean? Well, the first one on the list is the, is the pre-release promo card, uh, Comet Storm. Yeah, so this one came out, and 
people saw the picture for it. You know, it was spoiled very, very early on because it's the Foolies card. And immediately the questions started streaming in about the multi-kicker. Mm-hmm. Um, so multi-kicker, it says you may target another creature or player. Like this is Common Storm is red, red, X, deal X damage to target creature or player. And the multi-kicker is what, a red? A red one, one, one color. A one color. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's not as bad as I thought. But so for every time you pay the multi-kicker, you can target another creature or player. And people wanted to know, well, can I just double up on the same thing? Can I target my opponent and then target him again and get double X? The answer is what, Jose? The answer is no. You need additional targets. That's right. You can't hit the same thing twice with Common Storm. And you can also not hit a player and his planeswalker. Ooh, good point. That is that is actually a, a rules question that wow. we had come up. Uh, we had that come up at the pre-release yesterday where somebody was, well, I want to hit my opponent for a bunch of damage, but I also want to hit his Jace. Can I do that? Uh, no. No. Why Jace, not? duck. <laughs> uh, Tell us why not, Jose, real quick. Well, uh, planeswalkers cannot be targeted by something that right. targets a player. Uh, what you do is redirect the damage dealt to a player to any planeswalker. Right. So you are not targeting a player and his planeswalker. You can only target the player, but when the damage is dealt, you can just throw it over. Right. And, uh, so you could... Jason. You could hit a creature and a player and redirect the player damage to a planeswalker. Yes. Now, we also had the question come up after I said, well, no, you can't target Jace and your opponent. Then the next question that the same player asked was, well, what if I just hit my opponent for five and put three of it on Jace? Is that okay? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the answer to that is no, also. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> No, it's no because you all the damage is dealt in one chunk, and you either have to redirect it all or leave it all on the player. Right. Just how these things work. So that takes care of Comet Storm. Hopefully you play it correctly here on out, and if your opponent tries to you know, do something shady with it, you can call a judge. Um, the next one on the list that we want to take a look at is Brink of Disaster. What's the main problem with how people have played this card and expected it to work? The, the question I keep getting asked is, what happens... Well, let's tell people what the card is first. Sure. Um, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's an aura, an enchantment. Yeah, uh, yeah. It says enchant creature or land. Um, and when that creature or land becomes tapped, destroy it. Right, right, okay. So the question, the first question usually is, what happens if you cast it on something that's already tapped? Which is something that a lot of people do. They're used to paralyzing grasp and, and auras like that, where you get a lot more benefit if you put it on a tapped, uh, tapped creature. Uh, so it just doesn't untap anymore. Yeah, but brick of disaster doesn't work that way. No. It's it's not a four mana vindicate. No. <laughs> creatures are uh, um, creatures are the, the triggered ability triggers when the creature becomes tapped, which means going from untapped to tapped. So if it's already tapped, nothing happens. You have to wait for them to untap it. And then tap it again. Okay. Um, and, it, and it doesn't fall off or anything because the enchanting restriction is just creature or land, not you know, untapped creature or land. Um, and then the other interesting question I, I got at the pre-release was, there's a brink of disaster on a creature. He said, what happens if I attack with it and then regenerate the creature? I said, well, you can regenerate Generation will replace the act of destruction and remove the creature. So, in essence, you've tapped your creature <laughs> and paid some mana for regeneration. Well, that sounds like a great plan. Yeah. Okay, so that's Brink of Disaster. Uh, one other one is uh, the second cousin of Harm's Way, also known as Refraction Trap. Yeah, I don't even want to know what the text is on this, but it, it is a big chunk of text. <laughs> But it's simpler text. Uh, most of the text is probably the trap cost, right? Whatever right. that is. Um, but the, the main thing here is that it looks like harm's way, but it's not. It's a lot easier than harm's way. Mm-hmm. Because a refraction trap prevents the damage, and then the spell itself deals the damage. Right. To right. Or whatever redirect. It's not redirect, but whatever you're refracting to. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so there's a lot of subtle things that are very different from harm's way. You can, in fact, use this to prevent, you know, creature damage, creature combat damage, and then kill your opponent's planeswalker. Right. Because harm's way could not do that because you can't redirect that combat damage to the planeswalker. Right. Um, Terrastrodon, I'm probably mispronouncing that name. That's right, Giant Elephant of Doom. Brought to you by Ken Nagel. That that card is amazing. This guy I is love huge. that he is gigantic. 9-9 nine, nine for 8. Yep. And then when he enters the battlefield, you destroy 3 target non-creature permanents. Right. But and then for each one destroyed... You get a 3-3 three, three three. elephant. Its controller gets a 3-3 three, three Oh, elephant. that's right. The controller of the thing you blew up. So, for instance, if I wanted to blow up three of my opponent's lands, he would get three elephants. Yeah, which is kind of not great, because then those three elephants can block your 9-9. Nine, nine. That's right. But, for instance, if instead I had, oh, say, an Abyssal Persecutor, an Abyssal Persecutor, and an Abyssal Persecutor... Which has already gotten your opponent down those are, to those negative. Are creatures. Oh, they're creatures. You're right. I can't do those. Oh, darn. Well, Just destroy three of your lands, Sean. Okay, fine. Three of my lands, and I'll get, what, 18 power of creatures yeah. for the low, low cost of... Eight. Eight. Eight mana. Okay, Six colorless, two green, plus pandemonium. The people who were playing this were like, well, it's the most expensive card in my deck. Like, why not destroy three extra lands? <laughs> <laughs> okay. But well, a lot of people, I think, when they first look at it, miss the fact that you can, you can hit your own thing. Get some more elephants, right? Right. Or they may they may want to use it as a vindicate. You know, they, they may want to just kill oh, creatures. Yeah. Destroy destroy your opponent's crusty machete and two of your own lands. Well, giving that your works. opponent a three three was always one of my favorite things back when uh, Time Spiral Block with Pongify. That was one of my favorite cards of that set. What is that too? It's oh. one blue destroy target creature, and they get a three three green eight. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's seen some play in like. Legacy or vintage, hasn't it? Oh, maybe. I don't know. It's random, like, blue creature it is, kill. It is, it, is, it is blue, so it's not, you know, the usual suspects of white, you know, Path yeah. Exile, sorts of plowshares or whatever. Oh, that's how mm. we could have gotten around Iona playing Legacy. And she names white, that you can, you can turn her into an ape. Yes. <laughs> okay. okay. Iona, Iona looks, ape. <laughs> Iona looks better in fur. Disagree. Yeah, <laughs> fur is murder. Yes. Okay. Um, so one other card here um, in World Wake that has has some awkwardness to it for players. It's not really a rules <laughs> issue per se, but right. it does raise a lot of questions. <laughs> Is it, when players open this, uh, they call judge over and say, "Judge, what is this thing?" Um, and say, well, they're talking about Walking Atlas. Walking Atlas. Um, is, in fact, an artifact creature. I know it doesn't say that on the card. I know it will never say that on the card. It is, a, in fact, an artifact creature. This is just a straight-up misprint problem. Not yeah. even a misprint, actually, because I believe it was announced that uh, the foreign language ones also do not say artifact. Right, it's in the so source this, in the source. Yeah, this document. goes further back, before they even started the printing, someone just didn't type in artifact somewhere. And every time they looked at it, they also assumed, like many people, uh, you know, I'm sure, I didn't notice it until you pointed it out to me, mm -hmm. that it just said creature, construct. Right, because it's got the same border and frame and, and the same look as an artifact creature. Um, I wonder if the fact that it's a construct somehow, the creature type, maybe right. you mentally see the C word or just the fact that it is a construct is normally associated with artifact. Yeah. You just miss that. Yeah, the only blue construct I know of is Mistform Ultimus and his changeling oh, okay. buddy. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, you've Mist, just Mistform Ultimus. Like, you've just everyone's favorite dumb creature type quiz. <laughs> oh, you forgot Mistform Ultimus. But now, yeah. You, well, you put an asterisk it. on the podcast right Well, now. okay, here, here's the other thing, though, is that um, Mistform Ultimus also allows you, um, well, actually, let me start this over. And I really will do it. No, this no, no, I see where you were going. <laughs> you keep trying to like I can't rewind and delete. No. Okay, fine. Here we you go. Were, you wanted to talk about Eye of whatever. What is it called? Eye of Ugin. Yeah, Ugin. I, mean, I say Ugin. 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 
Well, and maybe it's, you know, you say Yugi and I say Yugi and you vice versa. Anyway. Because this card makes no sense whatsoever. Not at all. <laughs> Currently. Just Currently. like me. Just like me. Yeah. Makes no sense whatsoever. Because it says your colorless Eldrazi spells cost two less. Well, good for it. And it doesn't tap for any kind of mana itself. Not at all. And it's a mythic land. So you open up your pack and you're like, oh, wow, it's a cool symbol mythic. Oh, I've got this. Oh, it's not Jace. It's... This, but the problem is that there are no colorless Eldrazi spells. Right, you were trying to point out that Mistform Ultimus does in fact have the Eldrazi type right. now because of this card. It and its Changeling yeah. Brethren are the only Eldrazi type spells in Magic, and if you really want to get the benefit for uh, the Eye of Ugin for them, you need to have something like Mycosynth Lattice in play. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, make it colorless, make it colorless, and then you can play it for two less. It's a two card combo to make all your <laughs> <laughs> there you go. When yeah. you really want to cast that, you know. Now, so. the other side of it, though, of course, is that it will still search out artifact creatures in your deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are still talking about playing it because it searches out, what are they thinking about, Mind Slaver or something like that? Not, not Mind Slaver. It, it needs to be a creature. A creature. So, so something Sundering, type. sundering type. Yeah. Yeah, and it costs seven, so again, perfect. The ability costs seven, so perfect fit for Tron. Right. If Tron might make a comeback and extend it. Sure, sure. Ooh, maybe I'll play that. Hmm. I used to play Tron. Um, that's actually the last GP I played. GP Dallas was also extended. And I played uh, Blue-White Tron. Well, if you're going to go to GP Oakland and use that, um, it's going to sound sarcastic no matter how I say it, so I'm just going to say it. Good luck with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, that's World Wake for us. Those are some of the World Wake cards that we've been dealing with as judges that we've seen calls so far. Um, now, I'm sure more will come up. I'm sure they had very strange uh, questions come up. Mm -hmm. How many people ta you know tried to cast a, an Eldrazi monument with uh, for three colorless? Absolutely. That Eldrazi okay. Monument is not a colorless Eldrazi spell. Yes. That's, that's Even though it says Eldrazi in the name. And it is colorless. And <laughs> totally not an Eldrazi. Right. Well, with that, what else do we have for the people? Ricky? Well, we did get some comments. Oh, you're in, right. In the, um, on the MTG Cast website. That's right. We, and uh, we do have this podcast available um, in a couple different places. We have it available on mtgcast.com and also on mananation.com. So mm -hmm. we th thank both uh, those websites for allowing us some space on their bandwidth, and we'll hopefully be giving them a lot more traffic as we get more people coming through and, and, and listening to the show here. Um, but you're right, Ricky. There was that question uh, coming in from a listener. Well, I'm just going to read the email Straight straight across here, and then you can sort of react to it and tell me what what you think should should have happened and how you think this should be resolved. Oh, I'll pitch it to Jose first. <laughs> <laughs> Put him on the spot. Sure, okay. he hasn't even, he hasn't even know what the question is. I, <laughs> I have no idea. All right, listen carefully. Okay, aggro lone player has chalice of the void out with one counter. Aggro lone player casts gamble. Gamble's a spell that says go tutor for something. And then discard a card at random. Right. And it costs one. And yes. it costs one. Aggro Lone player gets a card. That's after both players let Gamble resolve. Elf player, that's his opponent, calls Judge because he now realizes that the Aggro Lone player shouldn't have had Gamble resolve. Oops. And Oops. the Judge ruling was a little strange for this listener. The aggro loan player currently had three cards in his hand, one of them being the tutored card. The aggro loan player was told that now, at random... Well, wait, wait, let's, let's okay. pitch it to Jose now. What do you think about that? So let's, let's rewind to the point of Gamble you, has resolved... You're the judge on this. You right. get called over, and this is explained to you. And this is explained to me, sure. The Gamble should have been countered by Chalice of the Void. Right. But um, we started to resolve it, and he tutored for a card in his hand. Right. Uh, well, uh, the non-active player, the, the elf player, we'll say, um, he just now realized it. Uh, well, 
I don't think that that was in any way trying to get any sort of advantage, he did also miss a trade. So he failed to maintain the game for one game. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so that one, that's a default one. Now, uh, the lone player has a card in hand. Um, standard procedure for drawing extra cards would be to take a card at random and put it back. However, he didn't draw the card he looked for. Okay. So, um, well, you don't have to make that distinction of, of how the card got into your hand. Because I, um, the drawing extra cards in Fraction can apply to cards in two or four or cards returned from your graveyard. It's just if extra cards end up, and, in, and, yeah, end up in your hand. Okay. Well, now hold on. Drawing extra cards is a very specific... Okay, yeah, you're right. Drawing extra cards these days. Um, up until a couple months ago, it yeah, was yeah, it yeah, was yeah. like you were saying, Ricky. But actually, a couple months ago, it was changed such that drawing extra cards is a very specific and restrictive definition. It's you're told to draw so many cards, and you draw more than that number. Yeah, okay. you're right. I'm confusing the quote-unquote drawing extra cards right. and drawing extra cards through a game rule violation. Right, exactly. Now, what's it's pretty clear what's happened here, and you mentioned it earlier is that what's happened is a missed trigger. Right. That both players have missed the trigger for Chalice of the Void. Chalice of the Void should have triggered encountered and countered So that's the, the infraction that was occurred. Right. Um, the penalty for that at this competitive rules enforcement level that we're talking about is... A warning. A warning, okay. So a warning for both players. Right. Uh, on one side for missing a trigger for the active player who controls the Chalice of the Void. And the other side would be the warning for the player that doesn't control Chalice of the Void, whose trigger it isn't, but should also know about the trigger, right. should be keeping track of that. They get a warning for failure to maintain game state. So we've covered those things. How do we fix it? That is tough, because, uh, you know, you can't, you, you can't put the card back, because yeah, you, don't know what it you, is. Don't, you don't know what it is, there's no way to find out what it is, because it's in hand. Right. It could have been Even if the player... Tells you, oh, this is the card yeah, I got. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> Unless that, is the that opponent right? had some way to verify it. Like Guaranteed if there was a telepathy. Yeah. You'd say, yeah, 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 that's what he got. Right. But uh, in this case, there's no way to verify it. Right. And, and that would be a, a completely different kind of gamble. <laughs> <laughs> Game rule violation gamble. Um, right. So we can't verify it. Right. Um, so what do you do? I have no idea. You talk to the head judge. <laughs> you talk to the head judge. Ricky! Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I do. Confirm. Okay, well, I wasn't the head judge. I, right. I, I believe this happened at the Legacy 5K in L.A. because it sounds very similar to something that we well, were talking I can't, about. Well, I can't attribute it directly to, to that specifically, but if you were there and, and I, I'm pretty sure it. that this okay. was the situation. So it would have been Jeff Morrow out from Oakland. Okay. Be the head judge. I don't know if he answered the call or this got appealed to him or, sure. or if the floor judge asked him for help. But I think he was somehow involved in that. Okay. Well, the, the way that it was resolved in the moment there um, was that the aggro loan player who had gambled against uh, the incorrectly, incorrectly um, the aggro loan player was told to, at random, Take one of the three cards in your hand and put it in the graveyard or shuffle it into his library. And, and the person that's sending us the email here is a little unclear as to which of those it was. Mm -hmm. But the other player, his opponent, um, flipped out and said, that doesn't help. It's like gambles just resolving. You know, if you put it into the graveyard, it's as though they've just discarded a card at random. Yeah. And gamble actually is resolved. I, I doubt it was put in the graveyard. You're, you're talking about uh, extra cards drawn from a game rule violation. Like the classic one is... You try to cast Muldrifter, right? And then you draw the two cards from Muldrifter, but then you discover that you didn't have any blue mana, so you cast it incorrectly. Oh. What you would do is you would take two random cards from your hand and put them back on top of your library. Okay. Because those are cards you, you know, you end up drawing in two natural draw steps anyway. Right. So that's kind of the, the fix that we use. In this case, um, you, you, well, let's, let's talk about the scenario now. I think that... Um, yeah, I was just saying that what, what Sean said sounded shuffling. like the fix for drawing extra cards. If you were to just draw two right. cards... Because they didn't come from the... T it, the card for Gamble didn't come from the top of the library. You right. tutored for it. So right. 
to return into that type of state, you would, you would shuffle the card back into your library, assuming that the library was completely random. It's a sticky situation. Absolutely. I mean, because it, it is possible because what, he had three cards total. Right, and uh, just to clarify, when the, the, the player actually revealed his hand and said, okay, these are the three cards I've got, um, this is the one that I tutored for, clearly saying this is what it is. Um, he showed him land, land, and engineered explosives, mm-hmm. with the elf player basically having his entire board set at, at one mana cost. Yeah. So, of course, the engineered explosives must be what you're searching for, and he's saying, yes, this is what I got. But there's still, again, you're relying on the word of the player doing that, um, and you can't verify that. And so this random solution of taking a card at random and, and almost as the gamble is resolving. Yeah. It's kind of the... the He's got a one in, one in three chance right. of and, losing the explosives. Or two in three chance of getting to keep it. Right. right. It's and just, that would be three of three chances of gamble resolving. That's exactly, <laughs> what, that's exactly what, what happens with gamble. Right. And so it's, it's kind of the, the least favorable solution for the elf player. Um, but as far as we go here, I think, you know... It's the correct solution. Yeah, it's the and it's the least bad solution. I can't say that it feels like a great solution to the situation, but it's the least bad one that I can come up with. Right. That elf player has learned to always watch uh, Chalice of the Void, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. It's been a learning <laughs> experience for that person. Be- because because the, the thing here is... To us, you know, as experienced players, it's quote-unquote obvious that he searched for engineered explosives. Right. But it becomes very, very dicey if judges are allowed to use that kind of experience to make these kinds of decisions to fix situations. Because then it becomes contingent on how much the judge knows. And this situation is very clear-cut. Two lands, engineered explosives. Well, but there are actually plenty of others. Th- there's a, there's a wrinkle here. Say say one of those two lands had been Tabernacle Pendle Vale, mm-hmm. another card that has a, a lot of potential to totally wreck an elf deck. Yeah, maybe that was the one that he tutored for because he's expecting the explosives to get blown up with uh, Crows and Grip somehow, or Cannon somehow. Mm-hmm. You, know, you get Tabernacle Pendle Vale. Well, that's that's just as just as good a card against elves in some cases. So, making this sort of Based on the game state, based on my knowledge as a player, based on my experience, the judge is somehow supposed to make this ruling and, and resolve something with strategic information in mind of this nature. I, I don't think that's something that we can really get into. As no, no, it's, it's, it avoids all, you just avoid the situation altogether. Suddenly you're making strategic decisions instead of the player. That's right. Yeah, so that's not to, a place a judge should be. We have to use an impartial thing, which in this case is it's a random card, mm-hmm. uh, gets shuffled back into the library. Right. So I, I agree with what happened here. What, who I, I believe Jeff Morrow ruled. I, I didn't get a chance to talk to him about it, but I think that's what, who, who did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree 100%. It's not pretty, but that's the judges that make the correct thing to do. Yeah. Right. Well, with that, that's one aspect of the world of judging, is making tough calls. That's, that's actually a huge part of it. That's when you go out there and you uh, volunteer when you're you know, level zero, uh, go in there and, and see how things are run, or you know, you're, you finally got your level one, there's still going to be tough calls. People out there should know that too, that it's all about you know, the gray area, and that's why it's totally important to consult other judges. Mm-hmm. If there's a call you can't make, bring it up to the head judge. Talk to you know whoever you need to to try to get the best idea. I wouldn't be able to make that call on the floor. I wouldn't want to make that call on the floor. Mm-hmm. And yeah. well and recognizing that is is also one thing that helps us as judges, you know, develop because recognizing that limitation um, in in yourself, if you were in that situation um, that that's a good thing to recognize. We'd also though encourage you to move past that, and because there's going to be some situation someday down the road where you will be the only judge in the room, right? Regardless of your level, if you're the head judge, you're the head judge, and it's your job to make that call. Now you might have a judge on the phone. You might have some some you know the IRC channel you could refer to for a question. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> 
I hate getting phone calls. <laughs> I, I, and I get phone calls from people sometimes. Like, hey, Ricky, like, I, I just want to make sure like, we were doing this tournament. And No, don't call me. Okay. So in that case, someday, Jose, you might have to make that call. Um, when that time comes, though, you'll know it. And I think if you, you know, want to become a head judge for a specific tournament, you'll be well-equipped to do it. And yeah. you've proven that today by passing your exam. So, again, uh, congratulations on that. Uh, and congratulations to you. Yeah. And congratulations to me for some <laughs> reason. Well, for, for, actually, you know, I would not be uh, doing this uh, podcast, the judging at all um, on the level that I am uh, without your mentorship. So that, that is a huge part of why I do this is because you have provided the right motivation and provided the right leadership and, and mentorship for that to happen. Thank you for that, Ricky. I appreciate that. You, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it right back to you. <laughs> You've been a great friend in and out of the judge program. And a lot of the stuff I do, I bring to you, and you're always enthusiastic about these projects, like, the, like Judge Cast. And it's good to have people around me that are just as enthusiastic for it. And then join me on my, my wacky crusades. <laughs> Well, with that, um, we'll send you all off on your own wacky crusades here uh, as we approach the one-hour mark for JudgeCast. Uh, we appreciate your time, uh, taking the time to, to hear us ramble and talk about all these issues, judge-related and otherwise. And we'll hopefully see you or hear from you um, in the coming days and weeks at JudgeCast at gmail.com. And in the meantime, for all the tournaments that you attend between now and then, Keep it fair. Keep it fun. This is Sean Catanese signing off with Ricky Hayashi and Jose Bovedo. <laughs>